Hello and welcome to the Reverend Hunter podcast. This is Tony Jones. I'm the Reverend Hunter, joined as always by the Samuel to my Saul, Brandon. <laughs> How you doing, Tony? <laughs> I'm just going deeper Old Testament, bro. You really are. You're the should... prophet. You're the prophet. Uh, you're the prophet. And I'm the um, deeply troubled, tragically flawed first king of Israel. Okay, I feel like now I feel like I got to get out some old flashcards from Sunday school, like maybe dig through some boxes of the past before the the next episode, so I can study yeah. up on these. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> we're gonna like I said, we'll, it'll take us a while to get to Jesus and Peter, but we'll get there. We'll get, we'll there, get there eventually. Perfect. Uh, yeah, I've been good, man. I um, spent I, I've I've had like two weeks with no hunting, uh, which is tough because we went to Dallas to spend. Thanksgiving with my in-laws. We hadn't spent a, a holiday with them in many, many years. So that was good. I drove down, uh, drove the truck down, got to see my youngest Aiden for a day who goes to college down there. And then we drove back. It's a long, long ass drive, but glad to be home and gearing up for, to get back out after chase some pheasants and stuff like that is as you'll hear in this in this conversation in the podcast today, I only shot one deer. I would have. I wish I would have shot two, but I'm happy with the one I got. And um, now it's about pheasant fe- pheasant hunting from here on out. Well, how about you? What's up? Not not a whole lot. I'm just kind of the same old same old uh, work work work. You know, good stuff. Try, I'm trying to get you out, dude. I'm not I know giving you up. Are. I know, I know, no. You you threw the offer out to me, but unfortunately, I'm working my uh, second gig, so won't I be know. Able to and pull I it up. checked even with Travis and Scott, and you know, Scott's super busy. Travis is like, I really want to do it. If you if you and Brandon find a day, send it out because he's also like, and then we'll get you guys both on the flush, and Brandon can talk about shooting his first pheasant. So he's looking for podcast content, dude. Oh, so you really, it's time. It's time. I mean, it's that time of year where you don't really need extra content either. So that's true. He's got a lot of content. Yeah. yeah. We we could, (laughs) we could do it in the winter, but, uh, dang, we're gonna, I we'll we'll have to find a time and, um, and get you out. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I, I have a great guest today. Johnny Carroll Sane is an essayist and an avid deer hunter. Um, and I guess it's hard for me to even, I, I, it might sound like I'm damning him with too much praise or something, but his writing is, um, so amazing. And I don't know, really touched me, um, having dived into it in the last few days, prepping for this interview. He, he came to me by, uh, via Worth Parker, uh, another guest, who's been a guest on the podcast recently. And he's worth has sent me a couple guys. He said, I think you should have these guys on. And Johnny is one of them. Johnny is a, an Arkansas guy, um, and an avid hunter and really, um, just a brilliant writer. So I'm going to link not only to his Substack in the show notes, but also to one particular essay or two, I think I'm actually going to link to two essays. And also then one of his essays was turned into a five minute uh, video essay that's on the PBS website and has been to a bunch of film festivals. It's beautiful. So all those links are going to be in the show notes. I, I'm, I encourage 
listeners to check him out and to subscribe to his Substack and and read what he's writing. It's a great conversation um, from somebody who really thinks deeply about the animals he kills, frankly. And that's the very kind of guest that I'm I love having on this podcast. Somebody who's thoughtful and introspective about the pursuit of hunting. Um, and he surely is that. So uh, thanks to all of you for listening. And as always, like, rate, review, share with a friend. And please enjoy my conversation with essayist Johnny Carroll Sane. Johnny, thanks for coming on the Reverend Hunter podcast. Uh, um, don't let the Reverend throw you off. <laughs> don't let that knock you off your game. Well, I'm glad to be here, and thank you for the invitation. Yeah, and I appreciate Worth connecting us. He's a Worth. He's a a connector. He, he likes is. Put, he likes putting people in touch, <laughs> which I appreciate. Yeah, uh, yeah. He he called me out of the blue last summer, the first time I'd ever heard of the man. <laughs> Yeah, I get a phone call from him, and then we start talking about all the people we know, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then once he's got your number, oh yeah, uh, <laughs> you're gonna hear from him, which I like. Yes. I like that because I um, I'm a 55 year old guy. I, I don't know how I I get the impression you and I might be around the same vintage. Yeah, I'm 52. Okay, and it's uh, it is well documented that it is hard for. Uh, middle-aged guys to maintain friendships. Yes, so, and doubly so when you're an uh, introvert. Oh, are heavily you? Okay. On the introver- oh, heavily on the introverted spectrum. Okay, uh, okay. Yeah. And you're a small-town boy. Yes. Yeah, so when you, when you, get, um, you get in the, in the orbit of an extroverted, communicative dude like Worth, I've, I personally appreciate it because... I, uh, yeah, you know. yeah, I do too. Yeah, because he's taking steps probably would not <laughs> to maintain yeah. a relationship. Yeah, ex- that's exactly right. Yeah, so <laughs> I... So, and I'm glad he connected us. I've been... Um, I've done a deep dive into your writing and my God, I love it. And there's some stuff I want to talk about the the intersect like the Venn diagram overlap between um, some of the stuff you've written and some of the stuff that I've written in my, in my not yet published book uh, is is a hefty overlap. So mm-hmm. I want to get to that. But Worth told me that I should also ask you about food. Uh, so I'm wondering what was on your Thanksgiving table. Ah. Actually, we had a pretty traditional Thanksgiving. Um, we traveled a little, a couple counties north of my home to my uncle's home in the deep in the Ozarks, and uh, we had, you know, the turkey, which I'm, okay. I am kind of sad that it was store bought, but that's that's where we yeah. are. Uh, the mashed potatoes, the the corn, the gravy, but we we also had venison. Uh, I think we had a couple Good. different varieties or types of venison. How'd you prep that? Uh, it was a uh, summer sausage. Um, mm-hmm. You caught me on an off year. Last year, we actually had Mississippi pot roast with an elk roast. Um, no, wait, what, what's a, what's a, how, how, what distinguishes something as a Mississippi pot roast? What's that style? 
Um, it. Let's see. What are all the ingredients? It's brown. It's a. It's a pot roast, and and of course, wild wild game is preferred. Okay. Uh, always in my case, but uh, I had a friend. I I'll try to condense this story. Uh, I went to Montana twice no, last no, year. No, you don't. No, bro, bro, milk it. Like, let's oh. let, let her rip. Let her rip, buddy. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I, I ended up going. I, I've been to Montana once in my entire life prior, but last year I went twice within the span of about three months for unrelated. One was for the the Big Sky Film Festival, which I had an essay that was turned into a, a short documentary that was in there. Mm-hmm. And then a few months later, I went for the Orvis Guide School or Guide Rendezvous. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, on the first trip, I go out there and I'm only supposed to be there for three days for the film fest. And uh, we get snowed in. The funny thing is, it wasn't Montana that got snowed in. It was Arkansas that got snowed in. I couldn't huh. get back. Okay. And luckily, through the wonders of social media, I have several friends in Montana and I happen to have one right outside of Missoula, who luckily had a house that they often used for for Airbnb or for guests or for friends coming through that want to play stay, and it was open. So I got to stay there, and and then he's un- wanting to unload some milk meat on me because his wife is Jock Cunningham, if he listens to this. <laughs> his wife was ready for him to get rid of some milk meat, and so okay. he asked me how much it would cost to, you know, let's just – uses you know ship it back as or bring it back with me on the planes checked on baggage so, so okay so we brought back elk meat and i've eaten it a, a few times over the years but not a lot being an arkansas guy uh anyway and he told me he said this this have you had a mississippi pot roast and funny i'm from the south i'd never had a mississippi pot roast so he told me the recipe and, it, and if i remember correctly it is uh you, you know you put the roast in there you put um i think we put onions sauteed some onions previously put them in there and then you put brown gravy um oh lord ranch dressing mix uh uh, i know i'm gonna forget some stuff but like the key ingredient was uh we put banana peppers in there pickled banana peppers that was like pour the whole jar in there with the yes the the brine yes yes and let it cook. I think I've seen that. I think I've seen that that kid, that famous kid on Instagram who does the recipes. Uh, I think I've seen him do something like that before. Yeah. Okay. We, we don't cook. We don't, we don't, yeah. All right. And well, how I've to never tur- done that before either. A roasted, we just had brown gravy, you know, and vegetables yeah. and, and potatoes. But anyway, it adds quite a bit of zest to it. It was delicious. You, you serve it over mashed potatoes and, uh, oh, incredible. Okay. Um, All right. But yeah, that was that was last Thanksgiving. So this Thanksgiving is a little more tame. Last Thanksgiving yeah. was a little wilder. Uh, but typically, in my house, uh, we we don't eat. We have venison every meal. I mean, mm-hmm. it's in some form. Um, we're allowed to kill six deer in Arkansas, and we need four now. My wife and I are empty nesters. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So with four. Four deer, we make it through the year with some despair. And, and every night okay, is a so, variation of, of venison. Something yeah, venison. Yeah, yeah. My wife, we're uh, I'm I'm recently an empty nester just this fall. Uh, and my wife and I, that is our goal as well. And I only shot one deer this year. Um, and I I've wondered how many I would need to shoot to um 
get through the whole year just on wild game. I also have, you know, a lot of ducks and just a ton of pheasants, but sure. And and we supplement, we have, I mean, I, I I deer hunt, that's my thing. And, Mm -hmm. and when bow seasons end from October through the middle of November, I really, I'm used for anything else. Uh, but also squirrel hunt and then, uh, turkey season, which has been rough here in Arkansas the last few seasons, but you know, turkeys only last, couple meals i mean mm-hmm. well we we do the breast one, one breast we'll feed we always have family over to eat turkey fried turkey breast and then uh, there's another meal of that that sometimes we tell family about and sometimes we don't <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and then uh and then the drumsticks we usually use for a, a stew or soup um in the winter but those don't yeah. you know they don't go very very far but deer uh say four deer uh, I can usually get 40 pounds, 30 to 40 pounds of meat off of every mm-hmm. year. And that carries us through a year. That's awesome. Yeah. We can, sh- this year we could shoot two. I only shot one and I just, uh, haven't, I only rifle hunt to this point. I, hmm. well, I'd been telling, um, my friend, you know, everybody, the two things I hear constantly, you got to fly fish and you got a bow hunt. <laughs> and I was like, I'm raising kids. I'm trying to, you know, keep hold everything together. I cannot like take on another hobby, especially those two, which seem to take a lot of time. And yeah, they require you know, a little bit of obsessive. Too. Yes. Yeah. And they were, they require an obsessive to a degree personality. Um, I think, uh, but those are the, I've been bow hunting since I was 15 mm-hmm. and I've actually, I have, I have been very successful because I've learned the hard way and I live in an area that has a lot of deer. Uh, but, uh, let's see, so 15, so what, almost 40 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. I've only killed two deer with a rifle in my entire life. No kidding. Yeah. And we have consistently had three to six deer in the freezer. Dang. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to talk to you about, I use that as an entry point to talk about one of your essays, which struck me. Um, I have a line in my book that I don't refer to killing an animal as harvesting an animal. So Mm. then to read your essay (laughs) on that, uh, I just, I thought, well, we're kindred spirits Um, because one of the things I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out is why my, my hunt, my passion for hunting has come as like in the seventh inning of my life, basically, Mm -hmm. uh, really started around 40 during a, a personal crisis, which I think you and I actually, from what I've read have some similarity there too. Very dark time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started hunting and then, you know, uh, spent, have spent time reflecting, trying to figure out like, what is it about hunting exactly? Um, what I loved about that essay is you, you write about that very thing about why you hunt. Um, so I thought maybe we could talk about that you know, what it is about why you hunt and what you tapped into in that essay, um, both about, I mean, using that 
harvest versus kill dichotomy as a jumping off point. Okay. Uh, hmm. Well, well just let's, you, let's, let, I'll ask you about this. I mean, the, the one of the points in the essay is, I mean, we can talk about industrial meat and stuff like that, but obviously mm -hmm. I think you and I are on the same page and probably actually most people who listen to this are too, but I hunt because that's what makes us human. That's like, that's mm -hmm. how we became homo sapiens, how we became humans by being hunters. So that's mm -hmm. why I hunt. Um, I tend to, I mean, I completely agree with that. I think a lot of people don't. And so I guess my question is, what do you think of people who say, no, that we've evolved past that, our, our need to hunt. Um, and that's, the success of homo sapiens that we don't have to hunt anymore. Is that a success? I mean, I, sounds, <laughs> I mean, that kind of sounds like a removal yeah. um, from everything else, because that's how the entire planet runs is the exchange of energy. And sometimes it's violent. Mm -hmm. um, let's see what I would say. Of course, evolution can happen. You know, you can you can make these. And I'm I'm not a scientist. Let me preface this. I, I've I've read a little bit. I know a little bit. Uh, but, um, you know, of course, changes can happen physiologically, and in all other arenas of an organism, over shorter periods of time than I think we thought just a few years ago. Um. So. In the what ten to twelve thousand years that we've and not totally got out of the hunter gatherer culture or economy mm -hmm. or whatever, but have shifted over to an agrarian um, form of existence. I, you know, all of those old old ways that evolved over four million years, or actually, if you want to go back further than that, back to when we were fishes. Um, they, they just magically go away and, um, you know, we, we evolved ultimately to become predators. That's the direction we took for lots of different reasons. And I don't think that, I don't think that, um, even now though, that you could, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to discount that because I can see some validity in that argument. But mm -hmm. again, I think, I think the first thing is to, to question whether, you know, that's a success because it seems to me like we're looking for more and more ways to remove ourselves from processes and from cycles and from other organisms here on the planet. And this is like another step toward that. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, is it, what's the reasoning behind it? Is it because, you know, it, it is gruesome at times. It's violent. Uh, you're taking another life. Um, but like I said, that's that's the way of the world and always has been. There's there's no way to escape that. Uh, you're going to be eaten by something else when you die. It's probably mm -hmm. going to be a microorganism or a fungus or something like that. But you you're or, but that's what it's going to be. Uh, you're going to end up as is being recycled back into the system. Um, and, and even if you don't hunt, you're still, you know, a part of the system, even though you may think you've removed yourself, you're, you haven't. Mm 
yeah. uh, you just don't see it. Your hands are still bloody. If you're a strict vegan, and and I and I really don't like getting into discussions about disparagement of you know being a vegetarian. Sometimes actually we have there for a while. My wife and I had vegetarian nights once a night, and we would just eat. We wouldn't eat any deer meat. We would uh, eat a salad or uh, root vegetable casserole or something like that. I got no problem with that. But but uh, when when you think if you would think that somehow puts people the you know people who don't hunt or sometime on somehow on a higher ethical or moral plane that's that's um disingenuous mm-hmm. it's either that or it's 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 um willful ignorance <laughs> I, and i don't know I, I, it's yeah. hard to say that in a sugar-coated way <laughs> you know I'm, I'm not trying to be um uh, ugly about it or or but you have to face the hard facts of life on earth and that's what it is it's an exchange of energy um i, I wrote it in one essay i can't remember but it's it's energy coming down from the sun captured by the plants and then it's mm-hmm. a uh, a constant I, I wouldn't call it a war or anything like that but an exchange that often involves violence and death yeah yeah Always involves death. Yeah, I mean, it always uh, involves yeah. death. Even if it, and it's violence on a scale that, or on a in a top that you may not, you know. How do we how do we know what plants feel when they're you know when uh, not the fruit because the fruit's designed to be eaten and that's how seeds get passed along. But there still might be some pain there in some level that we don't recognize or understand right now. Uh, there, I'm. I'm pretty certain there is from browsing. If you pull a leaf off of a plant or rip a leaf in half, there's got to be some kind of signal going to the plant that something's wrong. I mean, plants react in defensive ways. Some of them do. Right. You know, holly right. hollies grow pointed leaves when they're browsed by deer mm-hmm. to discourage browsing. And you look at cacti or, you know, there's all kinds of plants have defense mechanisms. Uh, poison ivy, poison oak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, so... Violence, yeah, is there all around. It, it just may be on a level that we don't, we can't fully um, appreciate, or or uh, um, oh, lost for words here. About the best way yeah, to articulate it. Yeah, but but you get what I'm saying. I do. Well, I think it. I think that extends from flora into fauna as well, because. Um, I, I talk to people all the time who say, oh my God, I could never shoot a deer. I could never shoot a deer. And I'll be like, well, do you fish? Yeah. (laughs) Well, what's the difference? Well, I don't think fish really feel pain. Okay. (laughs) Well, yeah. And and that's because hell do you know, first of all, well, deer have big brown eyes and they're fuzzy and brown eyes. I call it the eyelash rule. Yeah. 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 yeah, Their eyelash rule. That's a good one. If the, if an animal has an eyelash, it's like the eyelash, I, the eyelash becomes this weird defense mechanism. So for (laughs) animals that have eyelashes like deer, you know, people are like, oh, I can't shoot him. And I'm like, you know what? The wolf doesn't give a shit about that deer's eyelash. No. You know what I mean? Like other predators and, don't and, discriminate like that. No. And and it's it's just because, and I get it, it's because they are so relatable. And, um, you know, and I even have a hard time. It's, this is a little bit of a stretch. I don't say hard time. That's not correct. But sometimes when I see deer and I see the form moving through the forest and uh, you know, 
even walking up to my tree stand, they they move and act a lot like my dogs or like other yep. four-legged animals that I'm more familiar yep. with. And it's easy to make a connection there. And it's really hard to make a connection to a bug-eyed fish that you just pulled out of the water that lives in an alien world to us, you know, that we yeah, really can't ever, understand. You ever scratch in your dog's back and think, think look at those back straps in there. <laughs> I actually have. <laughs> and um, I play a little game here where I, I mean, I, bow honey's on my mind all the time. And so, like, if the dog walks by, I'll, I'm, I'm looking at shot angles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I'm sitting in the recliner, oh I'm looking God. at different shot angles of my dog. And I'm like, yeah, you know, they're quartering away a little bit here, but I could go to the off shoulder and it would go right. Yeah. Through. Where's the yeah. bread basket of that? Of yeah. Your, of yeah. Your dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, so, but yeah, the, the, that's actually one of the reasons my wife hasn't hunted yet is that she's told mm-hmm. me, uh, both of my daughters, I've got two daughters, two adult daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, they've both killed deer. Uh, one of them's killed turkeys. Uh, they don't hunt anymore. Uh, I think they might. I think one of them might later on. I'm not sure about the other. We'll, we'll wait and see. But anyway, yeah. they both love deer meat. They both love venison. You know, we they have it when they come to our house. We often bring it to their house uh, to prepare. Um, but the, the, my oldest one has actually said part of the problem is how relatable the deer is. She can be, relate to the deer and to the feelings. Yeah. And yep. now that she's a mother herself, you know, because a lot of the deer I've put in the freezer have been does. Yep. And, um, you know, she can, she, it, it's just different now. Um, and I get that. Uh, I get, I feel, I won't call it remorse. You know, I definitely won't call it guilt and I won't call it shame. I don't really know. I wrote another essay, and I don't know that you've read it, but I tried to explore some of these feelings, and I could not come up with a good label for them. Um, but it's, it, I've, I've, I've wept. I, I've wept and when I've seen a deer die. Um, yeah. It's powerful. And, and I can actually, you know, part of the draw to me to hunting is, um, when I experience a death like that, I, I actually confirms my, my own morale or mortality. Yeah. Um, and there is a, there is a deep spiritual power there. And I, I don't know exactly, um, again, what a label is for it, uh, what, what the name is of it, but, but I feel it. Um, and, and I've always actually, a lot, a large portion of my life, I felt that, felt that about a lot of animals. Um. <clears throat> well, yeah, I want to, I want to ask you about that because you do explore that in the, in that essay to the bone. And I've also watched the short film. Um, and we'll, I'll link to both of those in the show notes. People, I really encourage people to read that, to subscribe to your Substack and to, and to watch that five minute short on the PBS website. Um, I, I'd like to delve into that a little bit more that the, I've, I felt it too. And I think, I don't think remorse is, a, is, a, is incorrect. I mean, yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't feel shame or guilt, but I do think I feel some kind of remorse or there's, there's like, um, there's a uh there's this old phrase from um the early enlightenment when a, 
philosophers were talking about the sublime and and delightful horror was one was one <laughs> phrase that stuck word. out. Yeah, yeah. That that one phrase that kind of um they used to describe the the sublime aspect of nature that uh you feel both part of it and also completely overwhelmed by it. Um Yeah. It's a beautiful it, tragedy. Tragedy yeah, is what I yeah. often said. And that's that was when you were talking to her, that's what I was thinking. That that's probably the best way to describe it. I was not sorry that I did it. I was kind of sad that it had to be this way, but this is the mm-hmm. way it is. And 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 actually there is beauty there, uh, mm-hmm. but it is tragic and it's horrible. Um go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I my question is um I'm a relatively recent deer hunter. Like I'm 55. I shot my first deer when I was 49. So I've shot less than 10 deer in my life. Um, How you, how I'm going to ask you if, how you maintain your sensitivity to the aspect of death, the brutality of death with the number of deer you have killed since you were 15 how how have you not become inured to that death or um callous to the feelings that well up because i mean frankly uh i know a lot of guys who hunt deer and they shoot them and they don't think twice about it um and uh you know the outdoors industry which you take on in that one of the essays that we've already talked about, you know, the TV shows where the guys are high-fiving and um, taking the grip and grins photos with their deer. Uh, it, I can't do it. I can't watch it. Um, but, but it's still relatively new for me, you know? So I'm wondering mm-hmm. how have you maintained that sensitivity over all these years and all these deer? Um, well, I think... First, it's a personality trait, and I did not realize that I had this type of personality until I was probably in my 40s that I'm just a very sensitive person. Uh, I feel things deeply, and I'm very empathetic and can pick up on uh, other emotions from other people pretty quickly, and animals, I think. I'm my dogs. I mean, I know what, I'm not saying I know what they're thinking, but I'm very tuned into their behavior. And so I, th- I think that's part of it. Um, when I was a boy and they, they turned and I grew up at, you know, in a rural area where killing animals was, uh, very commonplace. Yeah. Uh, I wrote an essay, you know, where, you know, my grandma, when, uh, when we went to chicken and dumplings, she would enlist me to go out and catch one of the roosters. And then I watched her pull its head off, step on its head, pull its, pull its head from its body, Watch mm-hmm. it flop around. Then she took it in the kitchen, plucked it, cut it up. Um, just a matter of fact, that's how we got chicken and dumplings. And that's how both sides of my family, my mom and dad's family, they were both rural. That's that's how animals were. Um, they were is very utilitarian. Their food. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh along the way, and I know I'm going way back here, but I think Let's this do it. This factors in. I had a, my grandfather who passed away when I was seven, but I was very close to him. Um, 
he was a huge fisherman. He hunted some, but he was a huge fisherman. He liked, uh, he was really old when I was born. I think he was 70 when I was born. Um, and I only knew him for, again, seven years. But he, my first memories of fishing were with him. And I've, I've seen all the black and white photos of him, big catfish. And, and that was his thing. And uh, he taught me how to clean fish. And I watched him, fl- or not fillet. He didn't like to fillet them. He liked to scale them and cut the guts out on bluegill. And then we just fry them up whole. But anyway, I watched him do that with a bunch of fish. But he also would, I'd ride the school bus to my grandparents' home when I was little. And, and uh, during the warm weather months, I was almost always met at the, met at his, on his front porch with, he had a jar with something in it, a <laughs> lizard or a frog. Okay or a mouse, or a a cicada, or something. And one day, uh, I got up on the porch, and he had a jar, and it had a snake in it. Hmm. And and snakes were like, I grew up also in an evangelical family, and took a lot of the Bible quite literally. Okay, okay. If I was to say, my, my grandmother did not like snakes at all. Um, <laughs> the embodiment of evil, yep. Yes, and, and come to find out that she had forbid him to show me the snake. Huh. But he, but he did. Okay. And he didn't do just that. He took it out of the jar and showed me how to hold it. And I, I have forever wondered how man born in 1903 who lived his entire life, you know, in rural Missouri and Arkansas and Nebraska and some other states, but uh, who hunted fish, how and why would he ever show his six-year-old grandson how to hold a snake? Every other family member I ever had was just killed it. Hmm. They just cut his head off. But he, he didn't know what kind it was. He knew it wasn't venomous, but he took it out of the jar and I remember him showing me how to hold it. And told me to be mm-hmm. gentle with it, not hurt it. Hmm. And I remember that vividly today, that that experience. And I think that played a part. And and maybe realizing that, you know, here was something precious and, and something that a lot of people didn't, not just an animal, but a reviled animal. Yeah. That he was treating with such great care and thought and thought enough about it to show me how to do it and what he hmm. thought. Um, so that probably played a role. Um, you know, I, re- I remember growing up, I was torn. They gave me a BB gun when I was seven, and that probably wasn't a great idea. Uh, I was insatiably curious about how birds looked, and so often I would collect birds <laughs> just to see what mm-hmm. they looked like because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to touch them. I wanted to see what they – it's predatory instinct. I didn't know what to do with it and, and pre- predatory curiosity. Uh, but I would almost always be conflicted. Uh, Balling. I remember my mom coming up on me one time, and and she told me, she said, uh, "They call me Bubs. Bub, if you're going to do this, you, she said, if you if you're going to feel like this every time, maybe you shouldn't do it." <laughs> Fair hmm. enough. Um, <laughs> as I got older, I tried to um, adopt a more callous attitude because that was. That's a lot of the, the culture around here. Uh, yeah. You know, it was, like I said, I was brought up in that. Animals are very utilitarian. Um, and I, I never really succeeded. I tried, um, never really took. 
the one time I remember I thought it was really starting to, and and I had shot a squirrel that did not die when it hit the ground. And I remember the blood pooling around its uh, head and, and a, a, a Henry David Thoreau quote came to me that I had read a while back. And it was uh, the, the squirrel you kill in jest dies in earnest. Hmm. And I was pretty overcome with emotion over a squirrel. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was that was another step. Um, I wrote another essay that hopefully you'll discover soon about bow fishing, and uh, which I don't do anymore. Okay. Um, and it was kind of the, the same thing. I was that that was probably the most callous I'd ever been when it came hmm. to animals. I was shooting fish and I actually thought I was uh justified. I had some faulty uh science behind it and um and I was it was gar, which are native okay. fish and pretty important to the to the ecosystems around here. Uh but they were regarded as trash fish. And I just shoot gar and just lay them on the bank. And um, did it for a few years. And, and one, one day, my wife, we were driving down the road, and she said, have you ever thought about why you kill them? And I had not, hmm. except that I thought I was doing a service. And she said, yeah, but you're, you're killing an animal here. You're killing a life. And she said, I'm okay, you know, if you're killing deer and squirrels and turkey, we eat those or, or other fish. But you're just killing gar, and they're just laying there. And that made me think some more. Um, and – Eventually, I got to the point, I think, where I just accepted that um, each each of these lives are unique and special. Mm-hmm. And even though they're part of a much bigger story, if you're responsible, I think, for taking them out of this, you know, this realm, then you at least need to acknowledge the uniqueness of their, of their existence. Yeah. And I I don't know if, I don't think I'll play those words over in my head every time, but that's kind of like the underlying, you know, I I often think about the deer I killed, you know, uh, I try to track back, you know, uh, the last buck I killed this year. I wonder what he was doing in September. Hmm. And I wonder what his antlers look like in July and June and he was probably a three-year-old deer, you know, three years ago. I wonder which which uh, cherry thicket he was born in here in these bottoms. You know, I wonder if he felt the sunshine like I do, you know, on a on a warm spring day. Uh, I know that sounds, I don't know what it sounds like. But that's, that's kind of the... I, I, can, I can very much relate to the deer. I can very much yeah. relate to the squirrel. Yeah. Um, and there's there's bigger components here. I mean, it's also, you know, they're all local. They're from where I'm from. Yeah. Uh, you know, even we talked about fish being so dramatically different, and that's why people, you know, don't think uh, don't think twice about pulling a fish that's fighting for its very life out of the water and, you know, to the point of exhaustion and turn it back loose and thinking they did a good thing. And, and I say that as a catch and release angler. Hmm. Um, but that's a whole lot of torment, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm wrestling with that. Um, is this something I continue to do because I can actually, I, I can feel a connection to the, the, 
we have uh, little bass here in the creeks, um, smallmouth. They're they've recently been designated as their own species. They're not smallmouth anymore. They're neosho bass, uh, but they're only found in this this one section of creeks in the Ozarks, and it's the same place I'm. From. And so you know they're living in the same area I'm I'm living in. They're experiencing the same climate. They're experiencing the same weather. Uh, you know, a 17-inch fish, smallmouth or neosho, is eight, nine years old. Wow. They've seen a lot, yeah. you know, and then they've seen things that I can't even imagine. And they've sensed things that I can't even imagine. I mean, you know, most of their world is transmitted through vibrations to that lateral line. And, and they, anyway, through all of that, I, I feel connected. Yeah. And, and so none of, none of the lives I've taken are, uh, you know, just another notch on my bow handle or whatever. Mm -hmm. They're, they're much more than that. They're, they're my connection to this place. They're going in to make part of me. They helped make my daughters, you know, mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to see how anyone can't understand that there's so much more here than just a, a carcass when they kill an animal. Yeah. So much more. But, um, also it's, it's, uh, it can be painful to do that and uncomfortable and you have to yeah. confront some other things that are very uncomfortable. Uh, like the fact that we are animals and that we are part of this. Like, what was it? Uh, I said, beautiful tragedy. What was it that you, the words you said? Delightful was, horror. Yeah. Delightful horror. Yeah. That we're, we're all part of that. Yeah. And that's uncomfortable for a lot of people. Um, It's better to, to put us on a different, you know, put us on a different plane or, or say that we're exempt or or whatever. Yeah, it's it's something I, I love that you explore in, in the To the Bone essay and the and the film is that um, you already mentioned it, it, kind of practicing your own, rehearsing your own mortality as a mm -hmm. hunter. And my gosh, I mean, we uh, have so sequestered death away, you know, like moved death out of our... Uh, line of sight. So mm -hmm. we, and, and people used to die, you know, um, in the, in the bed, you know, grandma used to die in the bed upstairs. Yeah. And, yeah. Or die, it was a or, normal. Yeah. Well, it is normal. Yeah. 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 People, or die in the teepee or die in the, yeah. This yes. is like our, all of our ancestors were well acquainted with death and we, um, we aren't we're and i do really think that i don't know if you know this stoic phrase memento mori but it means to I do. Re, yeah to <laughs> rehearse you know or remember your own mortality and mm -hmm. i i thought of that you didn't use that phrase into the bone but you talked about and and the film shows you writing with the skull of the deer to whom you are paying tribute in that essay right next to you as you write as a mm -hmm. remembrance of you know, that deer's life, uh, down, down to the, you know, the creases in its skull that formed as it was growing from a fawn into a buck. And 
you talk about your own, you know, your, your own mortality too in that. So I just, I mean, I don't even know if I have a question other than to say, I appreciate, (laughs) I appreciate finding a fellow hunter because I do think we're sadly in the minority, this idea that the, the death of a deer would actually pierce us somewhere in our souls. And I wonder, I'll, I guess I'll at least ask it like this. Um, you've said you grew up, um, in a, in a conservative evangelical home. I know from reading your writing that you went through a dark time as an adult with a failing business. When your girls were young, you had to, I, I went through a divorce. I got foreclosed on. I was completely broke. I had to start my life over at age 40. Um, so I think we have some, some similarities there. I wonder how uh, your hunting life has been part of climbing out of that hole and maybe also having some sense. I don't know if you're still practicing evangelical Christian or not, um, but how is, if, if hunting has become part of your understanding of spirituality or your practice of spirituality? Um, when someone asks my religion or spiritual beliefs now, my standard answer is that I'm heathen as a damn crow. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know if that covers it. And most time, most time it's just because I don't really want to talk about it because most yeah. time the people ask me aren't really interested. Um, but I do have a few other folks that ask, uh, and with sincerity and, um, it does play a role. I, I don't know how to describe what I am now I, I, to those who do ask with, you know, that really want an answer. I, I most times say I'm probably pantheist animist somewhere. Okay. I don't know. I think, I think there is a divinity. I don't know what that is, but I think that there's a, the spark of life is part of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that, hmm, a lot of the stuff I really don't think about a lot. I, just, I mean, yeah. it's kind of surprising. Yeah. I used to, and uh, but I don't really think about it much anymore. Um, I can find connections with lots of different spiritualities and lots of different religious beliefs. I'm still a big fan of Jesus, huge big fan yeah. of Jesus. Yeah. Um, but. I would say that at the core of who I am, that that hunting is at the core of who I am. If if mm. I if I could not, and I, I mean I know there's a day coming when I won't be able to for whatever reason. Well, I may not. I mean, I may just hell. I may die in the tree stand. I don't. Know. <laughs> but but you know, if if I live to old age, there's there's probably gonna there will be a day coming that I I, I can't. It'll be my last. And I don't know how I'm going to handle that. Um, I had a good friend ask me, we were talking about, um, are you familiar with CWD, chronic wasting disease? Oh, yeah. I okay. We have to get our deer tested every year in our okay. in our, uh, in our unit. Yep. We have the, an outbreak north of us, and I, I don't really hunt up there. And so we're not required to test deer here locally. Uh, they ask us to. Um, and I, I've not had a deer tested. Um, and now that my daughters are out of the house, my wife and I are both in our fifties, you know, 
he he asked me. He said, "Okay, if it, and and I know about CWD. You know, so far there's not ever been any tra- recorded transmission from from deer to human. Um, you know, the risks are pretty low, and especially if you stay away from you know brain, spinal column stuff like that." Mm-hmm. So anyway, my friend asked me, says, you know, so if they came out tomorrow and said, hey, you know, you've got like a 60% chance if you eat this venison, you're going to, you know, suffer from CWD. And I said, or you're going to die from CWD or I forget what the human equivalent is, Jakob Crushfield or Crushfield mm-hmm. Jakob disease or something like that. Um, I, he said, what would you do? And I was like, whew. He said, you got to think about it? And I said, Yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm, uh, I'm 52. I said, you know, okay, so what's the, what's the timeline here? You know, if I contract it, if I got yeah. 15 years, if I got 20 years? And he said, let's say you got 15. I said, I'm, I'm not going to stop hunting, and I'm not going to stop eating them. He said, what? And I said, yeah. I said, I, I don't think I would be me if I couldn't do that. Huh. And I said, would I really want to live if I can do that? And uh, he said, you know, we're talking about hunting. I said, yeah, I totally get that. Um, and I don't remember what Native American chief said this, but we, he talked about with the buffalo were gone. He said, we could hunt mice because we're hunters. Yeah. Um, I, I would probably, I could probably see myself actually doing that transitioning, but I would have to think long and hard. He said, if I got, if I lived to 67, I mean, that's how ingrained it is, though. Yeah. It's, it's not even, it's not, it's beyond ritual. It's beyond, I mean, I have rituals, but it's beyond that. It's, yeah. um, uh, you know, of course, my wife and I have been married 30 years, and she knows come September, there's a shift happening. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I quit shaving in September, too. I don't okay. shave or cut, I don't shave or cut my hair until there's a, there's a flower that blooms here called a trout lily. And this is all because of Aldo Leopold. He wrote about recognizing plant birthdays. Yeah. And so okay. that's a little tribute I made to that. But anyway, when I start hunting, I quit shaving. I quit cutting my hair. Uh, there's a gradual progression in bow practice. There's a getting the stands out. Everything's okay. I mean, this is just, and, and then I go hang stands and I'm hunting and there's not even a question. And anybody that's in my life uh, to the level to know this, Know, knows how important it is and that, you know, October and first part of November, I'm not available for anything. Hmm. This is it. I'm doing work and I'm doing this. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know what that sounds like to me is, uh, <laughs> I mean, everything from growing out the beard, which is, a, was a common, uh, it's called taking the Nazarite vow in the old Testament. And, oh. uh, yeah, yeah. And, um, I mean, a lot of it sounds, I guess you'd say ritualistic, you know, in almost in a religious sense, you know, the the ancient religions, all, they all moved by the seasons. I mean, it's funny now we're, we're like this, you and I are recording this. It'll come out on the day after the first Sunday of Advent. And there are still, it's funny, all these, um, even Easter and Advent and different aspects of the Christian liturgical calendar are still agricultural in their, um, in their setup, even though of course we're not, we don't really live those ways anymore, but they go, they follow the seasons, you know, of, Mm -hmm. of harvest and of, of, um, 
new life and of, you know, tilling fields and things like that. So it just sounds to me like, and I think it is for a lot of people, I, I would just like to raise the consciousness of that, of people who are like, oh, deer camp is so important. Like I would never miss deer camp with my dad and my uncles or whatever. And to say, well, let's, you know, that's, I think we should pay more attention to that, especially as religion in America, as we've known it is dying before our eyes, you know, that I think people are going to be looking for other ways to, um, ritualize aspects of their lives and and find meaning in them yeah and 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 i've not ever um since i'm i'm a writer and i uh i edit a fly fishing magazine that's that's my cornerstone gig um Mm -hmm. and so i've always justified up until the last couple years i've always justified me doing all of this you know taking taking time to hunt and uh, to fish as, you know, uh, I've, I've justified it commercially, you know, said I'm doing this because this is part of my job. Right. I have to know this stuff. I have to get out there. And as a writer, I have, I do, I, if I'm not out there experiencing stuff, I have nothing to write about. Um, but in the last couple of years I've, I've stopped and at the prodding of my wife, she said, you don't need to really excuse yourself for this. You just, this is who you are. Hmm. This is what you do. And, uh, you don't, you don't need to justify it. And uh, she, I said, you're right. As I usually do. <laughs> you're, you're right. <laughs> yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. so that's that I'm not going to anymore. This is just my time. And, and because I'm, <clears throat> I'm very blessed. I, because I'm freelance in every arena, I have mostly control over my schedule. And yeah. so, uh, you know, when the weather's right, then I'm in the woods. Um, or I'm on the creek, or I'm uh, in spring. Now, turkey season, another big thing. I'm probably, not, uh, I can't say that. I'm pretty bonkers about the turkeys, too. But it's a much shorter season. It's only yeah. two or three weeks. Hmm. Well, uh, I, I'm i glad to have found a kindred spirit. I'm really, as I said up front, so grateful to Worth for turning me on to your writing. Um, and I just love what you're doing, man. And it's also fun being, finding somebody who's kind of in the same stage of life, you know, uh, empty nester and kind of looking ahead to the next 10 or 20 years. I, I, I hope if I can arrange my life the way I'd like to, uh, that it will be full of hunting. That's what I, you know, and fishing when Mm -hmm. I can't hunt, I'll, I'll, I'll reluctantly (laughs) fish. And I've been given like, summers are for. I know I've been given like three or four fly rods in the last three months by people who've just heard me say, I'm going to start fly fishing after I'm an empty nester. They're like, well, here you go, dude. And a guy gave me a couple of boxes of flies. And so I have no more excuses. You need to do it. You need to do it. And I I was a late comer to the fly fishing too, but it's a, it's a different wrinkle and it's a, it's a, an intimacy that you can't experience. I don't think through other tackle. And I would say the same thing about bow hunting. Yeah. It's a, that's the reason I do it. It's another level of intimacy. Um, right. And I, yeah. I'm not full traditional because I, I, I've tried that and I've, I've not been happy with my results even after a lot of practice, but I have some pretty, you know, I don't, I don't want to kill a deer unless it's 25 yards or closer. Oh, wow. Um, Dang. I don't, I just, uh, I, and the same with turkeys and I, I hunt them with a shotgun, but I don't want to kill them if they're about 30 yards or closer. 
I, yeah. I don't yeah. want to. I want to know where the deer is going to step. I mm-hmm. want to know exactly where it's going to go. I want to know probably where it's going to stop. Uh, that is what I'm looking for. Hmm. And the bow hunting allows you or it forces you to become that intimate with the animal. Yeah. Um, and likewise, the fly fishing with the bass uh, and well, you may be pursuing trout where you're at. I'm, I have a few trout around here, but I have to drive further north and, and they're not native here. So I have a little bit of a problem with them, but um, yeah, it forces you to become more refined. If you're going to, if you're going to connect with this wild beast in this way, then you got to get better. Yeah. You've got to learn it better. You got to know it better. And I dig that. Um, both of them have been, both of those pursuits, fly fishing and bow fishing or bow hunting have, uh, created a, yeah, a much deeper connection to me with these animals. Hmm. Um, and, uh, I, I'm not saying I won't pick up a gun again. I probably will. Uh, and there is a great deal to be said for going out. Like I've got family that they gun hunt and I want to spend time mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. And I, I'm, and I'll be mentoring some, some of those, uh, my nephew, he, he gun hunts exclusively and he's got, uh, my grand nephew. I, I want to go with him and be with him. So of course I'm going to do some of that. And man, I'm going to pick up a bait caster and spinning rod and I'm going to, I'm going to sure. do that too. But these other tools just, they are, they open doors to different worlds. They really do. Yeah. I know that that sounds really uber poetic, <laughs> but, but they do. And yeah, uh, I don't yeah. know how to say it no, any other I, way. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. And I got, I've got one kid in Texas and another, I think, who's about to move there. So, bro, I just may, uh, after visiting them, show up on your doorstep with a fly rod. Man, holler. We got creeks <laughs> we can go to. We can be there. I'm a, I'm re- literally, I better not say literally because I haven't mapped it. But, but I'm probably like five miles from a, a very good spot that we can catch some, All right. bass, some smallmouth or neoshows. Yeah. Well, it's great, great to uh, know you a little bit. I really appreciate you coming on. I do uh, with you know most guests. I, but I really mean it with you. I, I, I hope I hope our paths cross in person, and uh, maybe we can f- get a little trio together with Worth and go chase some some fish or chase some birds or something like that. That sounds great. I'm all for it, man. Well, thanks. Appreciate it. 